Thank you, ladies, for ministering to us in song. That's not easy. I picked up one of those bells before service today and tried my hand at it. It's not very easy. Uh, find the book of the Old Testament book of First Samuel this morning. First Samuel. And while you're turning there, uh, of course, as we've heard many times, and no, uh, today is Mother's Day. And allow me to say again to all the mothers, Happy Mother's Day. Uh, we love you. We need you. And without you, we wouldn't be here. Uh, think about that. Mothering is hard work, and each time you add another little one to the family, the workload increases. I ran across this uh, little piece, and maybe you can relate. It says, being a parent changes everything, but being a parent also changes with each baby. Here are some ways having a second child and a third child is different from having the first child. And you can listen to these and see if you can relate First of all, concerning your clothes, first baby, you begin wearing maternity clothes as soon as your doctor confirms your pregnancy. Second baby, you wear your regular clothes for as long as possible. Third baby, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. (laughs) Preparing for birth, preparing for birth. First baby, you practice your breathing religiously. Second baby, you don't bother practicing because you remember the last time breathing didn't do a thing. Third baby, you ask for an epidural in your eighth month. The layette, first baby, you pre-wash your newborn's clothes, color coordinate them, fold them neatly in the baby's little bureau. Second baby, you check to make sure that the clothes are clean and discard only the ones with the darkest stains. Third baby, boys can wear pink, can't they? (laughs) Worries, first baby, at the first sign of distress, a whimper, a frown, you pick up the baby. Second baby, you pick up the baby when her wails threaten to wake up your firstborn. (laughs) Third baby, you teach your three-year-old how to rewind the mechanical swing. (laughs) Pacifier. First baby, if the pacifier falls on the floor, you put it away until you can go home and wash and boil it. Second baby, when the pacifier falls on the floor, you squirt it off with some juice from the baby's bottle. Third baby, you wipe it off in your shirt and pop it back in. You laugh though, this is true. Diapering. First baby, you change your baby's diapers every hour whether they need it or not. Second baby, you change their diapers every two to three hours if needed. Third baby, you try to change their diaper before others start to complain about the smell or you see it sagging to their knees. A couple more activities. First baby, you take your infant to baby gymnastics, baby swing and baby story hours. Second baby. You take your infant to baby gymnastics. Third baby, you take your infant to the supermarket and to the dry cleaners. Couple more. Going out. First baby. The first time you leave your baby with the sitter, you call home five times. Second baby. Just before you walk out the door, you remember to leave a number where you can be reached. Third baby. You leave instructions for the sitter to call only if she sees blood. (laughs) And finally, at home. First baby. You spend a good bit of every day just gazing at the baby. Second, baby, you spend a bit of every day watching to be sure your older child isn't squeezing, poking or hitting the baby. And the third, baby, you spend a little bit of every day hiding from the children. (laughs) 
All right. Got an amen. Finally, <laughs> babies change things. Children change things. How thankful we are for them most of the time. Now, no, in all seriousness, though, children are wonderful. They're wonderful. And motherhood is an awesome thing. And if you don't believe me, just ask the lady in our Bible passage this morning, a lady by the name of Hannah. And I hope you have first Samuel now and you're in chapter one. And Hannah is going to teach us today some marks of a godly mother, some marks of a godly mother. And her life is a demonstration of these marks. She lived these things out. She didn't just talk about them or teach them. She lived these out. And each mother would do well to emulate Hannah's example. And if you found it, we're going to begin reading there in verse number one. We're going to read through chapter one so we can get a setting of what's going on. And then go back and see some marks of a godly mother. Now, many of you know the story of Hannah. If you were reared in church, you remember in Sunday school this story. And uh, hopefully today you'll see some things that will encourage you uh, in your walk with the Lord. First Samuel chapter one, beginning at verse one. Now, there was a certain man of Ramatham, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, the Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah. The name of the other, Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. So get that in your mind's eye. Year after year after year, she has to deal with this misery from uh, Peninnah, you know, provoking her, making her miserable. Look at uh, verse number eight. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat of the, by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now, Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a, I'm, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grants your petitions, which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. 
Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I've asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you, wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Verse 24, now when she had winged him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord for this child. I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition, which I ask of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. This is an awesome passage of scripture. It's a real account of what happened in Hannah's life and little Samuel there and There are several marks of a godly mother that come to the forefront. I want to share those with you real quickly today. Number one I see here is this. See your child as a gift from God. See your child as a gift from God. Having a child to Hannah was no small thing. I wish we had time to go back and study the entire passage verse by verse, but we don't. But to summarize, Hannah's struggling in an awful way. She's miserable and Peninnah's making her miserable. And her husband seems to be a godly man in many ways, but he did have two wives. Now, many scholars believe that one of the reasons he had two wives is because his, we assume his first wife, Hannah, of course, was barren. And so because of her barrenness, he took a second wife, Peninnah, to have children for him. But listen, multiple wives bring multiple troubles. If you don't believe Elkanah, just go back and ask Abraham. God's intention is for one man and one woman to be joined together for life. Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. But listen, barrenness was a big deal back then. And it still is today to those families that struggle and desire children and cannot have them. But Dr. William Blakely observed that the trial upon which Hannah had to bear was particularly heavy To a Hebrew woman to have no child was not only a disappointment, it seemed to mark one out as being dishonored by God. Cyril Barber said barren women were looked upon as having broken God's covenant. And as a result, he was withholding his blessing from them. I mean, it marked you out as a woman who had uh, come into disfavor with God. That's the way they looked upon it. And to add insult to injury, Peninnah was being sure to rub it in Hannah's face probably all the time about, look at all my sons, look at all my daughters. And she brought poor Hannah into tears and weeping and agony. And then you add in her husband's words. 
Now, Elkanah was a great man, but I want you to notice uh, what he said in verse number eight. Now, think about this. He says in verse number eight, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Now, guys, don't do that. Don't do that. He was just totally oblivious, it seems, to what she's going through and the anguish she's going through. And then add more insult to injury. When she goes to the house of the Lord to pray, the priest Eli's there, and she's pouring out her heart to God. And he says, you drunk woman, put away your wine. Think about all that Hannah had to endure here. She wasn't drunk. She was overcome with emotion and bitterness. But through all of that, I want you to notice it says in verse 19 that Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, that is in a sexual way. The Lord remembered her and it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah could see, bore a son and called his name Samuel. And she says to call him Samuel. Why? Because I've asked him from the Lord. Hannah knew that her child was a gift from God. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. We had time to go and read chapter 2. There's a beautiful prayer that Hannah prays there. And I would encourage you to read it. But I want to wonder this morning, Mother here today, do you see your child, your children as a gift from God? It's important that you do that. It's especially important when they start talking back and disobeying and making messes and breaking your heart. Those children, that child is a gift from God to you. Hannah understood this and she is a mighty woman of prayer. That's one thing you'll notice as you study Hannah. She's a mighty woman of prayer. She prayed for this child and God gave her a child. And we'll find out later that God gave her more children and blessed her. But children are wonderful gifts for at least a couple of reasons. Number one, you get to help them grow. That's just common sense. They're dependent upon you and you get to help them. You get to train them and nurture them and care for them and teach them. You get to help them grow. But here's the second thing. They get to help you grow. Say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I mean this. The Lord often uses children to mature us. Think about that. That's applicable to all parents, husbands and wives, moms and dads, all of us. Think of all the opportunities that a child brings in your life to see the fruit of the spirit exercised in your life. Think about the fruit of the spirit for a moment. Think about it in regards to parenting. Listen to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. See if this is what you need in parenting. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, <laughs> kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Children give a wonderful opportunity to moms and dads to see the fruit of the Spirit being exercised in life. You need that. See your child, see your children as a gift from God. Mark number one. Now, Mark number two. Surrender your child to the service of God. Surrender your child to the service of God. Now, what Hannah did was pretty amazing here, to say the least. She made a vow to God. If you give me a male child, I'll give him back to you to serve you all of his life. She made that vow, that covenant. Elkanah, her husband, confirmed that vow and God fulfilled that vow. And we notice what she does here is pretty awesome. 
She literally brings this child up, weans him, then brings him with an offering to the Lord. And she gives her son to the Lord's service. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. She brought him and left him the service of God. Samuel was probably around three years old when this took place. Imagine what it would be like, Mom, for you to take your precious little baby, your child, your toddler, whom you prayed for and cried out to God for, and you see him grow and you wean him and you bring him and you literally leave him behind at the house of the Lord to serve God his whole life. She left him behind. Now, I wonder this morning, what about you? Have you surrendered your child to the Lord? Now, today, we don't bring our children to live at the church with the preacher. And I don't want any ideas to be circulated. We don't do that today. But, 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 but yeah, we got enough right now, don't we? Yeah. But, but we, we surrender our children to the Lord. Many do this in a dedication service. Next Sunday, God willing, we'll have a child dedication service. And in that service... Parents are saying basically two things. Number one, they're saying we give our child to God for his glory, to, 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 to serve him. And, and number two, the parents are saying we dedicate ourselves to bring these uh, children, up, bring this child up to know and love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of us have done that. And, and maybe some didn't do it in a church service, but in your own heart, you cried out and said, God, I give you my children. I give you my son. I give you my daughter. And I wonder, have you done that? Have you done that? Let me ask you a question. Is it okay if your son becomes a pastor? Is that okay with you? Is it okay if your, your son or daughter becomes a missionary? What if God calls them to the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa to live for years on end with never hearing from them? Is that okay with you? Is it okay if your child gives their entire life to serving and loving passionately the Lord Jesus Christ? See, it's one thing to say, oh, I've given my child to God and I want to raise. Well, listen, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Can God use your child in any way that he wants? And you give your blessings. Now, for others, God may not want your child to be a preacher or a missionary in that sense. Might want him to be a doctor, a lawyer, a university professor, a farmer, a mechanic, a plumber. Baker, candlestick maker. I guess we don't have much of that. But in those positions, they should serve God with all their heart. They should be passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ and be a Christian in those positions. God's man, God's woman, serving him in all that they do. First Corinthians 10, 31, whether they're eating or drinking, whatever they're doing, doing all to the glory of God. Is it your desire, mom and dad, to see your child grow up to be a passionate lover and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Listen, it's not enough for them just to be moral and decent. That's not enough. Too many Christian parents say, I want my child to be moral. I want my child to be decent. Listen, that's not enough. You want to love and serve passionately the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. To be sold out for the Lord Jesus. Have you surrendered your child to the service of God? First of all, are you modeling this in front of them? See, a lot of things we teach our children are more caught than taught. They're watching you. They're watching me. 
I noticed where Gideon was talking the other day and he used a phrase that I use. And it reminded me, man, he's going to repeat me. He's going to say what I say. It wasn't a bad thing. I'm just saying it's a, a phrase I use and it just, it just kind of caught me off guard. Are they seeing you loving Jesus? Are they seeing you serving Jesus? Are they seeing you passionately following the Lord Jesus? Do you know Jesus? That's the first question. You can't be a Christian parent if you're not a Christian. You can't live for Jesus if you don't know Jesus. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Turn from your sin to Christ if you haven't already. Do you model true Christian living in front of them? And do you encourage them to follow God's word and God's will for their life? Do you encourage them to follow God's word and God's will for their lives? Hannah sets a marvelous example for all of us here. Surrender our children to the service of God. The two marks down. See your child as a gift from God. Surrender your child to the service of God. Down number three. This might be one of the tougher ones. I think number one is probably pretty easy. Their gift. Number two and three. These are kind of tough at times. Number three. Serve your child as a ministry for God. Serve your child as a ministry for God. Now, Hannah's love for little Samuel didn't stop the day that she left him at the door of the tabernacle. Now, can you imagine just walking away? Can you imagine that? Was Samuel calling out for his mother? Was Hannah weeping as she left? I think her love didn't stop there. I think it grew there. She served him before she left him. She brought him to the point of weaning. But did you know know she served him after? Go to chapter 2, verse 18. The Bible says in chapter 2, verse 18, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, notice verse 19, His mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. See, each year, Hannah would make a little robe to bring to Samuel when she would come up for the offering. And I'm sure they were very happy reunions. Don't you imagine that she was... Making that robe each year that she was praying for Samuel and thinking about Samuel and thanking God for Samuel and, and looking forward to seeing Samuel. Though she couldn't be with Samuel all the time physically, she served him in the way that she could serve him. And let's be honest about it. Motherhood is just that. It's service, isn't it? Motherhood is service. You ladies serve and you serve and you finally get to nod off to sleep. Then they wake you up in the middle of the night to serve some more. Right. It's service. Have you ever looked upon motherhood as a ministry for God? A God given ministry. That's what it is. Motherhood is a ministry that God has given to you to be done for him. It's a ministry assignment. And the role changes as children age. You go from diapers to diplomas and beyond. But all of your life, you serve your children as a ministry. And while the role changes, it's still a ministry. 
It's a ministry that's often unending. It's tiring. It's frustrating. The hours are long. There's no breaks. There's no vacation time. The pay is non-existent. There's no raise in sight. But it's something that changes not only their lives, but your life. And the lives of your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and beyond. You're touching lives that are going to touch lives for many years to come. Should Jesus not return first? It's a job that has an impact throughout eternity. And that's hard to remember when it's getting frustrating and tiring. And when the laundry is piling up and the dust is piling up and the phone is ringing and the baby's crying. It's hard to think about this in light of eternity. It's hard to say, praise God for whom all blessings flow. But you're touching eternity. You're touching eternity. Listen, some mothers here today are struggling. I'm sure in a congregation this size. You might be a single mom. You might be a wife with a passive husband. You might be carrying on dual roles of homemaker and a career. I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today from God's word. God's ears are open to your cries. If you don't believe me, just ask Hannah. A woman of prayer. And she cries out to God. And I want to encourage you, mom, in knowing this, what you're doing is making a difference. It may not always be busy. You may not always see it now. And there's heartaches and headaches and all that goes with that. But know that eternity hangs in the balance for your child. And you must bring them up in the nurture and admonition to love and serve the Lord Jesus. And I want to encourage you to don't give up. Don't give in. See your child as a gift from God. Surrender your child to the service of God and serve your child as a ministry for God. It's all here. In one of his writings, Fred Cruz sought to answer this question. What is a mother? What is a mother? He said somewhere between the youthful energy of a teenager and the golden years of a woman's life, there lives a marvelous and loving person known as mother. A mother is a curious mixture of patience and kindness, understanding, discipline, industriousness, purity and love. A mother can be at one and the same time both lovelorn counselor to a heartsick daughter and head football coach to an athletic son. A mother can sew the tiniest stitch in the material for that dainty prom dress, and she is equally experienced in threading through the heaviest traffic with a station wagon. A mother is the only creature on earth who can cry when she's happy, laugh when she's heartbroken, and work when she's feeling ill. A mother is as gentle as a lamb and as strong as a giant. Only a mother can appear so weak and helpless and yet be the same one who puts the fruit jar cover on so tightly even dad can't get it off. A mother is a picture of helplessness when dad is near and a marvel of resourcefulness when she's all alone. A mother is a mother has the angelic voice of a member of the celestial choir as she sings Brahms lullaby to a babe held tight in her arms. Yet the same voice can dwarf the sound of an amplifier when she calls her boys in for supper. A mother has the fascinating ability to be almost everywhere at once. And she alone can somehow squeeze an enormous amount of living into an average day. A mother is old fashioned to her teenager, just mom to her third grader and simply mama to little two year old sister. But there is no greater thrill in life 
than to point to that wonderful woman and be able to say to all the world, that's my mother. Can you not see little Samuel standing at the tabernacle door during the time of the yearly sacrifice and looking out over the crowds that gather as they come in? And finally, as he keeps looking and looking and looking, he sees his family. And can you not see him turning to old Eli and saying, that's my mother. Mother, be encouraged today. Be encouraged today. What you're doing makes a difference. Do you know Jesus today? And if you do know him, do you see your children as a gift from God? Have you surrendered them to the service of God? And are you serving them as a ministry for God? Motherhood makes a world of difference. A difference that lasts for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, it is with grateful hearts that we bow again. We thank you for Hannah and Samuel. We thank you for the example that she is to all of us today. I pray for your will to be accomplished in this invitation time. If someone's here today who does not know Christ, I pray today they'll come to know him before it's eternally too late. I pray for the moms, many here. We pray for those who are struggling right now. Encourage their hearts. Help them to see that what they're doing really matters. Help them to know that you're open to their cries. Father, I pray for families. I pray that you strengthen families. And I pray for your will to be accomplished now as we have this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn this morning. is a familiar one, 330 Amazing Grace. If you need the words, 330. And I want to invite you today, if you need to be saved, if you need to come and pray, if you need to come and surrender your children to the Lord, it would be a great day to do that here at this altar. So as we stand and sing, we invite you to come. Amazing Grace, 330.